Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today's show will be on adopting from Asia. We are a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, you can subscribe to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page of our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio show. I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for both adoption and infertility, and you can find us at our website, creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer doesn't have to mean a loss of fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medications through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can go to their website, heartbeatprogram.com, or you can talk to your doctor. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Nightlight provides international, domestic, foster, and embryo donation adoption services throughout the United States. We also have All Blessings International. They're an adoption agency with offices in Missouri and Kentucky, and they work with families throughout the U.S., placing children from Congo, Haiti, Hong Kong, Latvia, Taiwan, and El Salvador. They also have a domestic infant adoption program that, uh, that, that they work with as well. On today's show, we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned, adopting from Asia. Our guests are Dana Woods. She is the program, she is the China program coordinator at a Helping Hands Adoption Agency and affiliate of Nightlight Christian Adoptions. We have Kimberly Alls. She is the director of adoption and the waiting child coordinator for Dillon International. And last but not least is Emily Matthews. She is the Missouri director of All Blessings International Adoption Agency. And, and ladies, let me just take one moment to stop here and note that all three of your agencies are loyal sponsors of Creating a Family and, and, and show their support of our mission of providing unbiased, accurate information to those struggling to create a family. And I just wanted to stop a moment and say we truly thank you and your agencies uh, for our support. And so let me welcome you all, Emily, Kimberly, and Dana, to Creating a Family. Today we're going to be talking about adopting from Asia. Uh, and the, the primary countries right now that are it's has been this has not always been the case in the past and it makes me sad to say but that now the primary countries that, that uh, Americans are able to adopt from are China, Korea, Hong Kong and Taiwan. So, uh just for our audience, we're going to kind of structure the show today based on countries. So, we're going to start with China, which of the four countries we've mentioned is the larger of the placing countries. Uh and then we're going to talk about Korea, then Hong Kong and then Taiwan. And if we have time, we can lament that uh, of the countries that are closed and kind of get an update on what possibilities there might be in the future for uh, these countries opening up. Um, let me start with China, however. Dana, now your uh, agency is, is, and you have, are the China program coordinator, and your agency has uh, programs in China. Uh, and some of the other ladies also, your agencies also do as well. Um, there's been a lot of changes uh that we've been hearing about in China, um, seemingly moving more towards a, um, it, it apparently is moving more towards almost being an exclusively a, um, uh, a special needs program. Do you even think in terms of, I mean, what's the, are, are you even, is anybody even giving out waiting times now if people are interested in adopting a, and you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes around the word healthy, a, um, a, a lower risk child from China. Are we even are you even making an estimate on how long it's taking? We, all I can tell you right now is this is Dana from um, A Helping Hand. With China, our families who are receiving referrals at this time have been had their paperwork in China for over seven years. 
Um, Good Lord, I can't imagine you still have families that are still waiting. We do. We still have. A lot of them have had biological children during that time or have adopted domestically or from other countries, but they've still remained in the China program. Yeah, just might as well at that point stay on the list, so to speak. Um, Right. uh, How... uh, Let's talk about uh, who can adopt. Um, China is known for having relatively strict requirements, age, marital status, that type of thing. Uh, Let's just give us a rundown on who is able to adopt, and if you need to break it out by uh, children, what we consider healthy kids, low-risk kids versus special needs kids. Okay. As far as age, a couple has to be between, they have to be at least 30 years old, and it says no more than 55 years old. However, a China will grant an, a waiver for a family who is over, if one of the parents is over 55 years of age, to adopt a child with special needs. Um, with regard to marriage, the couple has to be married at least two years, and if either of the parents have been divorced, then they should be married at least five years before proceeding with an adoption. Okay, and how often do they, uh, I was going to come back to waivers. You mentioned the age waiver where it's possible for, uh, when adopting special needs kids, to ask for an age waiver if one of the parents is over 55. What about the marriage requirements? Is that something that China uh, is known to give waivers for, for parents adopting special needs kids, kids with special needs? They they have. I do know of some families who have gotten a waiver for that, but they are they seem to be a little more strict about marriage and and they're also very strict on the young, the younger end of age. So they'll make an exception for being over 55. However, they will not make an exception for being under 30. Hmm. Okay. So what are the other uh, restrictions? You talked about age, um, length of marriage. What about single women or single men, I suppose? Single, single women are allowed to adopt from China. Um, single men are not. The restrictions for single women... Um, I don't have those right in front of me. They, I'm trying to think, some of the things they're in. Their professional special status. focus kids, which uh, is that no longer right? The they do. Yes, a special single woman is, must choose a child from the special focus list. And the special focus list used to be considered the more heavily involved special needs. Is that still the case? For the most part, yes. Okay. There are some children, it just really depends. You really have to get into the list and look at the children. And if you have an opportunity to find someone who can go into the orphanage or have access to the orphanage to find out more about that child, you can sometimes find a child who whose special needs seems very manageable. Or and age is sometimes a special considered a special need. So you can find is it so in the in the special focus program where you could have a a child that has no medical uh, condition that that is known, but that is is considered special needs because they are over a specific a certain age. Is that considered special? Yes. Uh, special focus. Okay. And what yes. what in the special focus group? When we say a child over a certain age, an older child over what age are we talking about usually? At you, at least eight years old. Okay. All right. So it could be, again, air quotes around the word healthy. Uh, healthy, uh, because and, and and for our audience, the reason I say that is that, you know, all children who come from institutions are going to have special challenges, uh, and so we we hesitate when we use the word healthy because we don't want to be misleading that that these children are are as as as, as a child who it would be you would be adopting at birth that type of thing. Okay. Um, all right, so single women, yes, save age requirements, uh, and there's certain financial things that a single woman has to show as well. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct, and okay. that is what I do not have in front of me. I think they have to have a net worth of at least $100,000, and for a married couple, um, they have to have a net worth of at least $80,000. And then also income is $10,000 per person in the family unit, including the child they plan to adopt. So a family of four who was adopting, they would need to make at least $50,000. Okay. Okay, that makes sense because the child comes in, so it would be. And 
Uh, and again, have you seen waivers on any of that for uh, children with special needs? Yes, I have. Okay, so the income is something that might be waived as well, um, including for single women? I have not had experience with that, so I'm not sure. Okay. Well, just, yeah. So it, it might be something, but it may not be. Um, one of the issues that comes up uh, oftentimes, actually, when we talk about China, is China's position on what in the United States we might consider relatively non-issues as far as mental health of adoptive parents. And the one that, that I get the most questions on is the use of antidepressants. Um, and uh, families who are, at least one of the parents, is taking antidepressants, uh, and they wonder if they are going to be excluded from adopting from China. And then the next question would be, is there a waiver if they adopt a child with special needs? Well, it has been my experience that China is very leery of any family who has a history of, and I'm using air quotes, (laughs) depression (laughs) or anxiety. And but a lot of times people take these those medications for reasons other than depression or anxiety. Um, for example, someone who has premenstrual dysphoric disorder may be prescribed that medication. Um, and so there are ways that you can, I don't want to say get around that because that is one of their one of the rules that they tend to not be as lenient on as they are with others. Um, but, you know, I encourage if a family does have a history of taking an antidepressant to call the agency and talk to them and explain the circumstances as to why they're taking it and let, you know, their options to be to be matched with a child beforehand and get a pre-approval before you actually begin the entire adoption process. And so, right, right. Uh, And a lot of people uh, in our audience uh, end up taking, uh, not a lot, but but many people do, end up taking antidepressants to help them cope with some of the grief associated with infertility. It's, I guess I would, you know, it's a situational uh, depression. I mean, it, the inability to have a child when that is something that you desperately want is a depressing event. And uh, if uh, uh, the modern medicine uh, the, uh, can provide some relief, uh, they avail themselves of that. Uh, would that be something that China, in your experience, would understand? It's a situational depression. It's not a organic depression. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm you know I don't really know of what I speak, other than the fact that that infertility is depressing. And some people, once they are no longer infertile, or you know, it's, it was situational. They're they're over it. Correct. And again, it's it really just depends case to case. It has been my experience that if you do have, if you are taking an antidepressant, you would more than likely have to choose a child from the special focus list rather than the other option of getting all of your paperwork logged in and choosing or being matched with a child from the shared list, which is typically a child who is considered non-special focus. So your children who are very young with minor conditions, um, that may not be an option for people who have a history of depression or anxiety. How long would somebody need to be off of the medications before they no longer either have to report it to China or China waives it at that point if you've been off X number of years or whatever that they no longer consider it a a hindrance? I think it's two years. They have to be off for at least two years. that, That is what I have heard as well. Okay. Um, you have alluded to two lists, the, the special focus list and the shared list. Can you kind of briefly uh, describe the difference? And if there's any other lists out there, those are the only two I know about, but there might be others. Okay. There is a list that the CCCWA, that's the China Center for Children's Welfare and Adoption, um, they make available on the Internet to agencies. And it has children classified into two groups, either the special focus children or non-special, non-special focus children. Um, the children who are non-special focus are typically your younger children with mild special needs. The children who are special focus are either children with 
multiple special or multiple medical needs, their older children, um, or their special need is moderate to severe. Um, they are, those children, in addition to those two, well, let me back up. The children who are non-special focus, a family must be logged in, meaning that their paperwork must be um, prepared and in China, ready to be matched with a child. The children who are special focus, they can be matched with a family who is just beginning the process. And then in, in addition to that list, each agency has an individual list, and agencies can go on to the shared list and choose children that they want to advocate for. And then also agencies have the opportunity to work with one-to-one programs, meaning that they've been paired with an orphanage in China. And so they go and offer their support to the orphanage, and in exchange, the children from that orphanage who have special needs are placed on that agency's list, and that agency is given 60 days to try to find an ad- or advocate and try to find a home for that child before that child gets put on the shared list for all the eight, for all the other agencies to access. So, so the that's a lot there. <laughs> no, it is, but I, 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 of course, I, 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 did, I thought you did a great job explaining it, but then, of course, I understood it so, <laughs> beforehand, so that right. might help. <laughs> it always helps to have some advanced knowledge. The individual list, uh, that is, as you, I'm just summarizing to make sure I'm getting it, that is agency-specific. They uh, are now allowing agencies to work with individual orphanages, uh, and when they do so, they then have access to find families for the children from that orphanage for a 60-day period of time before the Correct. child goes to the... Now, the the rumor has it out there that uh, that is a uh, uh, one of the better ways to find a child who is younger uh, or with, uh, or probably and actually, and has more milder forms of of special needs. Uh, would you say, in your experience, does that hold true? I think... I think it probably is. Each month, the CCCWA um, releases non-special focus children, and sometimes that list is very small, and you have approximately 60 agencies trying to, for lack of a better word, grab those children as they come up on the list for our waiting families. So, you know, if they only add 45 children and there's 62 agencies then you know that tells you that not a, that not every agency is able to get a child for their family so you know we have families logged in who are waiting for one of those children who you know a very young girl under the age of 2 with a very minor special need and you know if we're only allowed, if we're only able to match one or two each month then you know we have families who are waiting longer than they were in the past. And so if you end up with an agency that has a relationship with an individual orphanage, they might have more than uh the well they do have more than the just the shared list, so it may be a way of reducing the your wait time. That is correct. Okay. Um We've been talking a lot about special needs. We probably uh, just uh, give a brief uh, special need child. A child with special needs is simply a child with conditions that make it harder to find a parent, uh, a family. Um, just a very broad definition. But uh, it's, are you seeing that the children coming from China right now have more involved special needs in, in kind of just in general than they did, say, two or three years ago? I don't know. That's, I guess, that's a hard question to answer. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we have more. What? <laughs> I was just going to. I was going to say. I think our families are becoming more open to some children who have more moderate special needs, um, and when they are given the opportunity to look at files and view lists on different agencies' websites and through people who are advocating for children, they can fall in love with a child and be willing to learn about that child's condition and become more open in what they accept. 
mm-hmm. becoming more educated. Let me ask Kimberly yes. that question because Kimberly, you're the waiting child coordinator at Dillon. So, are you seeing that? Uh, just and I'm speaking generally here. Are uh, the special needs coming from China? Do they seem to be more involved than they were a couple of years ago, or is that just my perception because people may be more open and we're seeing more? I'm with her. It's really hard to to answer that question because historically children coming from China may or may not have had those special needs and we may or may not have heard about them because predominantly children coming home from China in the past few years have been these you know, cute little girls who tend to be, you know, bright-eyed and look look healthy on the outside. But with the changes in the programs and the more availability of photo listings and one-to-one programs with China and people becoming more open to adopting children with special needs, it's hard to say if there are more special needs children or if we are just seeing more families who are now more educated, more open, more willing to bring those children home. So, you know, in essence, yes, I think we see more children from all the countries who tend to have more of the special needs that can be anything, you know, considered minor to, to very severe needs that 10 years ago people would would run for the hills before they would consider right. adopting. Yeah. And yet now, because it has become, an, become the, the new normal and people are more accepting and there's more resources out there in our communities, better insurance, older families, I mean, all kinds of reasons lead me to believe that the children coming home, yes, they may indeed have more special needs or we may just know about them more. Yeah, we see we have a waiting child section on our site, and we see a huge interest uh, mm-hmm. in families um, wanting information on these kids. So, yeah, I I, I tend to agree uh, as well. What, uh, uh, Kimberly? I'll ask you this question as well. When we speak of minor special needs, can you just give us some examples of what you would consider as minor? Well, again, that's, that can be very um, subjective depending on your age and how much experience you've had as a parent um, and or being experienced with, with children in general. And what you may see as a minor need, I might see as a moderate. It's very subjective in a lot of ways. And our families, when I sit and visit with them, their lists are really quite um, diverse as well. You know, medically speaking or from what I've seen with, with families who sincerely desire to adopt a child with minor special needs, they're looking at kids who may have been born low birth weight or premature and had some early uh, difficulties like respiratory illnesses or developmental delays. But in the long run, eight or nine months into their care, they have, you know, kind of caught up with some of their uh, milestones and yet they're still considered maybe a minor special needs because of their early history. And I don't think families are as afraid of that because they've experienced some growth and developmental milestones along the way, and they feel more confident that they can deal with the the lingering problems that come from maybe a low birth weight. Are those kids still ending up uh, on the uh, spe- uh, the shared list? Are are those kids more more looked at now in the uh, Healthy Child Program? And Kimberly, I'll, I since you had said that, I'll, I'll ask that question to you. Okay. Uh, you know, I can't speak to the China program. I think a lot of times, um, you know, the programs are so different case by case. Yeah. But looking, you know, the Korea program, for instance, because the children that we work with in Korea uh, come to us from birth mothers who place their children at birth and they immediately come into foster care, we've got a lot more history than other right. country programs might right. have, for instance, yeah, China, where the children are abandoned. Yeah. So that makes a huge difference yeah. in terms of labeling yeah. these yeah. children with their special needs. Yeah. Dana, and when you think in terms of, uh, of milder special needs, what are some that come to mind? What I want to do is give people some examples, because if you're not familiar with the world of special needs adoption, it's a you know, it's just, it's all jargon, and so give us an example of what you well, might consider. I will give you an example, and I want to kind of add something to that before I do. Um, we have families, and many families kind of want the same thing. Um, they're wanting, like, you know, I keep alluding to the little girl under two, and um, a lot of families are interested in heart condi- little girls with heart conditions, um, there are some heart conditions that repair themselves by the time the child is one or two, like a small hole in the heart may, um, it, you know, heal on its own, 
or can be fixed with surgery. Um, just with the advancement in heart surgeries, families don't tend to be as scared of that as um, they may have been in the past. Um, I have some families who are open to um, hepatitis B, um, thalassemia, which is a form of um, anemia, um, I'm trying clubfoot. That's a, a condition that can be fixed um, mm-hmm. relatively easily. Um, those cleft are some lip, of the main ones. Comes to, comes to mind. We're getting ready cleft to do lip a show. and cleft palate. That a lot of people ask for that. Um, again, that's where it comes in subjectively. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Because you know it is a special need that requires. You know, it's ongoing, and it's not one surgery and it's fixed. Um, there's usually speech uh, therapy and, you know, a lot of things that go along with that, multiple surgeries and, and speech therapy and those types of things. I should point so, out that we are getting ready to do a show in February on uh, cleft lip, cleft palate, and we'll be having specialists from all of the areas you just mentioned uh, to talk about uh, what it means to adopt a child with cleft lip or cleft, pa- cleft lip great. or palate. Yeah, it will mm-hmm. be. I'm actually looking forward to that show. Um, all right. Uh, if you are adopting a child with special needs, Dana, now we've already said if you're if you're going for a healthy young uh, infant or baby or, ch- or toddler, uh, the weights can be, we don't even give estimates now because people currently receiving, as you point out, have been waiting for seven years. So let's just speak now of special needs kids. If you are wanting to adopt a child from China with special needs and in specific are looking for a milder to moderate uh, or a younger child, so in other words, let's say either an individual, uh, an agency's individual list or uh, a shared list, a child on the shared list, uh, about how long are people having to wait? Um, in the past, I could tell families when they first came to me wanting to adopt that mild special need that they could probably be home in one year to 18 months. That wait is getting a little bit longer, but at this point, I don't think I have any families who have waited longer than two years. Okay. That's uh, that's a fair assessment. So anywhere from one to two years, or probably 18 months to two years would be more accurate. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, now let me move on to Korea, uh, uh, since we want to make sure we get four countries in here. <laughs> and Kimberly, you are, uh, you're here as our expert on Korea, so let's talk a little. Uh, we're going to start with kind of go through the same issues, we uh, talk about the same topics that we talked about with China. What are some of the uh, restricting uh, uh, criteria that Korea has for who they will allow to adopt their children? Well, historically, Korea has always been a program much like China that you could set your clock to. It was very predictable, um, and their criteria was very uh, understandable. In the last year and a half, Korea has undergone some changes, and so you'll hear that it's a bit different than it was a year and a half or two years ago. Um, they're very strict about their criteria. There's very little wiggle room for families, uh, of course, who've got that history of using the antidepressants, which I get a lot of families who do call about that program, and that seems to be a, a piece of their history that keeps them from moving forward in the adoption process. Um, not always. Um, they, Korea is very accepting, of course, of married couples who've been married at least three years. They do like seeing that marital stability for um, both first and second marriages. They do prefer that no one have more than one previous marriage per spouse. The age restrictions are a little lower than China, um, anywhere from 25 to 42, which restricts some of us older families who would like to adopt again but yet don't meet that, that young age. If you're a Korean heritage family, meaning that one of your parents was born in Korea and you were born here, the age is raised to 47. Um, Korea does look at the difference in ages between the married spouses. So if there's more than 10 years age difference between spouses, they, they probably are not going to be approved. Um, they don't allow more than four children already in your home. They um, are also very careful about arrest histories. So if a family has a history of having been arrested maybe in college, doing some fun thing and and has a history there, they're going to look very closely at that arrest. Um, and if it was long 
a go and a not considered a felony, it's possible that they could receive a, a waiver for that criteria. They will actually, they would reject you if you had, say, you got uh, uh, arrested for public drunkenness, uh, which is not a felony, uh, at a frat party in college. That would be something that would prohibit you from adopting? Um, again, it's, it's case by case. They're very careful to try and hear the whole story. But, you know, up until a year and a half ago, the answer to my question, I would say yes to that because it was long ago. You know, certainly the families learned from that, and, and we can discuss it in the home study. In the last year and a half, two years, they're becoming very, very clear that an arrest history has to be quite a few years ago. It has to be explainable um, and something like that. You know, in my mind, yes, I think they would probably make an exception, but there's no way to know that. Yeah, um, that's a fair, that's a fair yeah. assessment. Yeah. All right, let me break, briefly break here. You are listening to Creating a Family, and today we're talking about adopting from Asia. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletters, and we let you know about the latest developments in adoption and infertility, as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topics. So you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of any page of our website, creatingafamily.org. And while you're at that website, we have tons of information uh, uh, available on all aspects of adoption. Just go to the uh, blue horizontal menu, hover over the word adoption, click on resources, and we list all of the resources, and including extensive resources, on special needs adoptions. All right, going back to Korea, Kimberly. Um, so mental health issues, we've talked about that. Uh, we should mention the weight restriction for Korea since, uh, I believe, actually, does Dana, does China have a weight restriction now? Yeah, well, they require that you that both parents have a body mass index of less than 40. Okay. Um, and is Korea, Kimberly, is Korea, Korea even stricter than that? Well, they don't look at a BMI. They look at um, you're required to be within a stated weight limit before you can accept the referral of a child. And they have a, a, a scale, a weight guideline in pounds that families can look at. And there's one for men and one for women. And you look at your height, and you have to be under the, the weight for each of those height measurements. Okay, and it They're correlates, basically, though. Yes, BMI, they do. Though. Yeah. Right. They don't want it to be more than 30% overweight. I think that's their... Percentage yeah. number. All right. So, you know, a lot has been changing in the Korea program. It used to be, we would say, that um, that it, because it was, in many ways, a very well-run program, and they had a real focus on getting children uh, placed at a young age, so that they were not in. Um, uh, most of the children are in foster care. We should add there, but uh, as a result, it was uh, one of the countries where the children were relatively young upon placement. But there's a lot that's been happening in the last two years in Korea. What if, if you were, uh, what's the youngest age that you're seeing people, uh, children coming uh, to the U.S. For, from uh, Korea? From, how old are they? Well, right now they're averaging anywhere from 18 to 26 months of age when they arrive home. So they're toddlers. Um, and, and that's, you know, Korea has made a, a very distinct effort to place these children in domestic placements within Korea, and so they put them on a registry for a few months that allows them the chance to be adopted in their homeland. When that isn't possible, then they're allowed to be uh, presented to families in the United States, which makes them older when they come home than, than they may have been a few years ago. They're right. still very yeah. young. They're, you know, toddler age, two to, you know, a two-year-old up to... 26, 27 months um, is still a little a little person who um, has reached some of the milestones and and certainly are are toddlers full blown when they arrive here. Yeah, and the good news, I mean, the the, the upside to that mm-hmm. from a parent standpoint is you do have more development to look at so that you can make a better assessment on the child's uh, overall condition or whatever, um, and and development. Um, then children are considered healthy, and you have both healthy as well as children with special needs. Are children with special needs, when you adopt them from Korea, tending to be younger than the children uh, that are uh, uh, classified as healthy? They are. Um, Because of the changes in Korea's requirements for adoptive families, I think we're seeing um, 
fewer families meet the criteria. Uh, it used to be that the, the waiting list for a family adopting from Korea, families would wait for referrals. And as it is today, we're looking for families all the time for our Korea children simply because the criteria is so strict. But for a family who does meet the criteria, you know, they're looking at bringing home a child 18 to 26 months who's been in foster care, has understood what family-style living is, has had wonderful mm-hmm. medical care. I mean, there's an upside to having had uh, 18 months of medical history and developmental um, right. charted mm-hmm. for them. So th- that's the upside. The downside is, again, they're not little infants that are coming into your family. And older children, you get to skip the dirty diapers and the the newborn nights, but you know, part of your child's story is still written, whether they're in a foster home or an institution. It's just a different set of behaviors that, that come with a child. And if they have a medical special need, you certainly had really good ongoing medical care and oversight for that need for the, the previous months before they arrive here. So for families who meet the criteria, and that is married families below the age, or generally speaking married, below the age of 42, healthy, and no more than 30% overweight um, with no arrest record, uh, how long would they wait for uh, a healthy uh, child that's considered healthy from uh, Korea? And does it matter if they want to uh, specify gender? In the Korea program, they're not allowed to specify gender I mean, I certainly think any agency would like to try and, and meet a family's desires for the gender they wish to adopt, but we do tell families coming into the Korea program at the present time, you have to be open to either gender. And families who start the process, once they get to that home study piece where they're home study approved and they're waiting for a referral, generally they're waiting maybe three to five months to receive a referral of a child. And then after that, and they match with the child and say, yes, this is my child, it's still taking up to 18 months to bring him home. So it can be still a, you know, a process that's longer than it used to be. Um, but, again, it's 13 to 18 months after they accept and are matched with a child. And that's, I have to admit, that's the one that's hard for me. I can I totally um, understand and support their trying to find domestic homes, but it's that time after the child has actually been referred that is hard, but that's not that's not the topic of this conversation, is it? And uh, we have talked about that the care of the children in country uh, has historically been excellent because they are with foster families, and the foster families are trained and observed, and, and so the children are being uh, are being um, uh, are being kept up with uh, uh, by the agencies uh, in Korea. Uh, all right, so that kind of that covers uh, Korea right now. So that the overall time. Oh, uh, we have not talked about cost. I forgot to ask that. To uh, let's talk about cost uh, because the Korea program has become more costly because it now requires uh, more travel. So let's talk about uh, cost generally before we move on. What is the cost of the program and um, to adopt a child, uh, a healthy child from Korea? Well, if you include, it, it's hard to give you a lump sum, but I'm going to say somewhere between thirty-two and $34,000, which is a scary number for any of us who have been down that road and start the process. It can be a bit overwhelming. Does um, that include the two trips? And That would include an estimated travel. It would include post-placement fees, which we haven't talked about, but when a child comes home, we certainly want to make sure the family's doing well, so there are post-placement visits involved. That includes uh, costs that are not paid to our agency necessarily. Those fees include um, maybe your home study that you have to pay for in the area in which you live, uh, USCIS for fingerprinting, some of the processing that goes gotcha. on with the federal government. Okay, so it's, that's we're, what we're yeah, that's good. We're trying to kind of get a total cost. Let me, Dana, go back to you because I should have asked that about China. Um, if you could give us a range of total cost for an adoption, uh, and let's say a child with special needs, uh, because that's, for the most part, all people are considering right now with China. Uh, I would say a Chinese adoption is anywhere from thirty to 32000 Okay. Gotcha. All right. Thank you, Emily, for your patience. We're coming to you now to talk about... Let's start with Hong Kong. Uh, the uh, People are often surprised that we hear so much about China and then Korea. They're often surprised but that there are other Asian countries 
with which you can adopt. Um, what are who can adopt from Hong Kong? Hong Kong accepts uh, married couples ages 25 to 55 years of age, and they also accept single women. Okay. And um, are there any other significant restrictions that kind of come to mind um, as far as number of divorces, weight, um, anything along those lines? Um, The couples need to be married for three years for Hong Kong, and um, single women um, is more of a case-by-case situation, and they need to be more financially stable than a than a married couple would be. Okay. Um, is, any weight restrictions? No weight restrictions. All right. Um, if you have uh, a history of having taken antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs uh, in the past, is that an automatic exclusion? not an automatic exclusion. It's something that would be considered case by case. But it's, it's something that can present a an obstacle um, to adoption, though. Correct. It could definitely be an obstacle, but if there is a situation like that, then it would be looked at as a case by case situation, depending on how long ago you know the family was on an antidepressant. Gotcha. Okay. What uh, what age child uh, is available, and are they considered? for the most part, healthy, or are they uh, as more akin to China now where most of the children being placed have some type of special need? Which, which is it worth Hong Kong? The majority of the children have some type of special need. Uh, the younger, we have children of all ages, um, infants all the way up to teenagers. But typically what we're seeing is the younger the child, the more severe the special need is going to be, such as Down syndrome or cerebral palsy with younger children. And then you know, we may have a 10-year-old with more of a minor special need, such as, you know, a missing toe or um, an extra digit on a hand. Okay. So uh, are there many children under the age of two available uh, in Hong Kong? Uh, what's the average age, I guess? We do have several children under the age of two. Like I said, the majority of them do have Down syndrome or a more moderate special need, such as cerebral palsy. Okay, so um, and and so if you're looking for a uh, and those would be considered probably more um, moderate to severe special needs, and so if you're looking for a healthy child, uh, what age are you telling people to that they need to be prepared to uh, adopt if they're going to adopt from Hong Kong? They're looking for a healthier child with more minor needs. They would need to be open to a child um, age ten or older. Okay, gotcha. All right. Um, And how are the kids cared for in Hong Kong? Are they in uh, foster care or group homes, orphanages, what? The younger children tend to reside in foster homes, um, and they receive excellent care while in Hong Kong. A few children do reside in group homes, um, typically sibling groups um, or children that they have a harder time finding a foster placement for. And the group homes also, the children receive excellent care, and families are always impressed whenever they travel and they visit the foster families or the group homes. Okay. And waiting times, what are the waiting times for adopting from Hong Kong now? And and, and if you need to break it out by age of the child or, or uh, severity of the special needs, do. The wait times are unique for families that reside in our networking agency, which would be Kentucky, Missouri, or a home study agency that have already received approval um, by the Social Welfare Department in Hong Kong. Um, the wait time we're seeing is anywhere from 12, 12 to 18 months. If we have a family outside of Missouri, Kentucky, or home study network agencies, then they're going to look at a little longer wait time due to the fact that their home study agency and their state would need to seek prior approval before they could adopt. Oh, okay. So what uh, the seeking, and, and you would have to get them to, you'd have to have a home study agency and state who are willing to do that? Correct. Yeah. Um, so that could be problematic, it would seem, at that point. I would imagine, uh, well, maybe not from the agency, but I would imagine the state would not be enthusiastic about having to uh, do that. So for those who, if, if you are outside of Kentucky or Missouri, then you would, uh, you would need to add more time to the processes, basically, and it's it's more iffy at that point. Correct. It would just be an increased wait time if you're outside of Kentucky or Missouri. Okay. And uh, what type of costs 
most uh, do you see uh, for adopt? How many trips is Hong Kong? How many uh, trips does Hong it require Kong. for the adoptive parents? It only requires one trip in country, and the travel is only four to seven days. So it's a pretty easy trip to make. Yeah, and it makes it less expensive as well. So right. what uh, uh, what is the cost? Can you give us an average cost, including travel? The average cost for Hong Kong is around fifteen thousand. It's one of the lower uh, fee ranges for international adoption due to the low uh, in country fees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's, that's actually true. All right, let us talk then uh, about Taiwan. Uh, uh, and uh, All Blessings has a program in Taiwan as well. So what is the uh, – wait, before we do that, let me stop a second and go back. Dana, uh, your your agency in affiliation with Nightlight has a program in Hong Kong and Taiwan. Anything that you would add different uh, – than um, what Emily has said uh, about uh, that program, uh, including kind of the overall cost. And I know that's not your area of expertise since you're the China person, but I thought I'd give you an opportunity if there's anything that you wanted to add. I was just going to um, add something. Hong Kong has recently started, um, they have to give each home study um, agency pre-approval before the family can move forward um, with using that particular agency for their home study. So if if the agency that you will be using for your home study has already been approved, then you could move through the process a little more quickly. Um, and um, Emily talked about this, but I was just going to, I was trying to clarify it a little, I guess. Um, so for, I don't know, um, if if your agency has not been approved by Hong Kong, then that agency would have to go, and it seems to be taking longer and longer for Hong Kong to approve agencies. So um, I guess there would, wouldn't necessarily be a limit. Like Emily mentioned that it would, if you lived in Kentucky or Arkansas, the wait, wait time would be shorter. Um, and so there were other states that it would be short as well. You would just need to find out if your agency had been already approved by Hong Kong. So that makes if sense. that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, that does. So you would need to just before you get too involved, you need to choose an agency. If you know that Hong Kong is where you want to adopt, you need to choose an agency if you can that's already been pre approved. Correct. Yeah. That would make okay, that would make great sense. Okay. Now, moving back to our friend Taiwan here. All right, Emily, so uh, using our same kind of format, what are some of the, uh, who, who is allowed to adopt from Taiwan, or maybe to ask another way, who is not allowed? Either way, answer it either way. Our program requires couples to be between the ages of 30 and 50 years. They need to be married five years. They need to be in good health and financially stable. And anything beyond that, they do take into consideration, um, and it'll just be case by case. Okay. Uh, so there isn't the automatic uh, restriction for anybody who's had uh, anti- uh, a history of taking antidepressants. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Um, they do look at it relatively closely, though. Is that right? Yes, they do. Okay. Um, that, that as far as the ages, we do have families where one parent, you know, maybe in their upper 20s, and those those are typically um, looked at as case by case, but the majority are accepted if you're close to 30. Okay. Uh, is there a weight uh, restriction in Taiwan? There is not. Okay. So uh, single women? No singles. Okay. Um so what age uh, child is available, uh, and uh, are the predominant children in need of homes, children with special needs, uh, and is it possible to adopt a relatively young child uh, that does not have significant special needs? The majority of the children waiting are toddlers um, to teenagers. They do have special needs, um, like I said, with the, it's kind of similar to Hong Kong. The younger the children, the more severe the special need tends to be. Uh, we do have, you know, children, you know, that are between the ages of five to 
10 with more minor special needs. So if you want a child with minor special needs, you would have to, again, open up on your age range. Gotcha. Okay. Um, And that does sound similar to what you have said in uh, Hong Kong and uh, that, that, okay, so uh, the 5 to 10, you can still, uh, a child would have relatively minor. Are you allowed to request a gender? You are, yes. Okay, gotcha. Um, How long is the wait time for uh, families adopting from Taiwan? The current wait time is around 12 months, we say, 12 to 18 months, just to be cautious. And that's for a referral, or that's for when you travel to pick up your child? That would just be the the process from referral to travel. And then how long uh, uh, is the average wait for a referral? Typically, the families can choose. um, If they find a waiting child on our list, we have a photo listing, then it would just be waiting on the official match. So once you're officially matched, then you go through the process, and then you'd be allowed for travel. And so that whole process looks like 12 to 18 months for most families. So from the time you have applied to the time you get permission to travel, is that's the 12 to 18-month period. Unlike I'm, I'm making a contrast between that and, and Korea simply because um, the referral is relatively quick, from, uh, but then you, the total time, it's, and from a family standpoint, they're more interested in the total time usually than in the individual. So total time is like 12 to 18 months. Is, uh, I'm making sure I understood you. Is that right? Correct. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, children are cared for in, is is it similar to Hong Kong? Younger children are in foster homes, older kids and sibling groups are in um, group homes or orphanages? It is. The majority of the children in Taiwan tend to be in group homes, and they also receive excellent care. All right. And then what would you say the um, average cost would be? Is it a one-trip or two-trip country? The program we currently have is one trip, although I know some programs in Taiwan do require two. Um, Our program tends to be based on, the international fee is based on the specific needs and number of children a family is adopting, so an estimate would be maybe 22 to 28,000, just depending on um, how many children and the children's needs. And if you're adopting just one child, then you might be in the lower end of that? Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Unless the child has more significant special needs, whereupon at that point there may be some consideration. Correct. Okay, Okay. gotcha. All right. Um, Has anybody heard of um, any other Asian country or uh, country placing placing Asian children um, that is that is open? Kazakhstan, we've been waiting on, but as far as I understand, it is it's not currently open. Um, is is uh, Emily? Have you heard anything different? I have not. Yeah, Kimberly, Dana, do you know of do any any of you at this point uh, know of any uh, other country that is placing in placing children uh, Asian children using the not more generic? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Not that I'm aware of either. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to take a little bit of time and find out what the uh, what you, you guys are currently hearing about countries that used to place but are now closed. Kimberly, I'll ask you since you just got back from Vietnam, um, what is the status of, of from Vietnam standpoint? They used to be open, um, then closed, then open for a short time, then closed again. Um, any thoughts on whether Vietnam uh, is going to open any time in the near future? Well, my recent trip to Vietnam was a Birthland tour with my 12-year-old daughter who was born there and placed for adoption through Dillon International 11 years ago. So it was more of a a personal and business trip on behalf of Dillon International. But no, of course, my heart is in Vietnam because my child was born there, and I'd certainly like to see it reopen in the near future. And there's been rumblings, I'm sure, but we haven't had any kind of official word about what's happening there. Um, Certainly, it'd be a country we'd love to to be a part of, but, you know, at this point, I think it's conjecture about when it will reopen, Um, Mm -hmm. and I I never want to steer families to a country that we don't have a solid footing in, and I don't think Vietnam right now is is one that's considered open by any means. No, I don't think so, at least not to the U.S., and and certainly would not, even when it opened for a short time uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know that um, there were rumblings the whole time, the short time it was opened. 
Um, Dana, have you heard anything about either Vietnam or Cambodia? Cambodia is another one that uh, children used to be coming home from but uh, are, are not now. So uh, any, have you heard anything about that? I have not heard anything recently. Yeah, I have not either. Emily, any, do you have any thoughts on that either? I don't. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a frust, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, if, if it means that there aren't children there in need of homes, then that would be a really good thing, but I, I fear that that's not what it means. I fear that, that they don't have the infrastructure to do it well, which, you know, is a valid reason, I suppose, as well. Um, I would like to see that, uh, we could, uh, be doing, um, ethical adoptions from those countries, so, at some point in the future. Uh, but we will just, have to wait. Um, let's see. One. Let me also. I, I do want to mention that uh, creating a family. I want to take this point right now, rather, to mention that creating a family has. Uh, I've talked about some of our gold sponsors. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a few other of our gold sponsors, and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we are able to bring you this show. We have Children's Connection Inc. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation, uh, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We also have independent adoption centers whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, uh, and more. You can get more information about all of our gold sponsors by just clicking on their logo on uh, any page uh, of the site. Uh, and let me also say that uh, if you have enjoyed our show and want to help us grow, we would love to have you give us a rating on iTunes. It's relatively easy. Uh, you can just go to our website and uh, go to the radio page and click on the iTunes button, and then you can give us however many stars you care or leave us a comment and and we would particularly thank you for that because it does that's how uh, iTunes uh numbers of comments which we do have a lot of the of those and uh that's how they uh select um number one rankings for um uh, for their radio shows thank you so much Dana Wood Woods Emily Matthews and Kimberly Alls for being our guest today on Creating a Family. If you want to participate in a discussion of the topic of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org. To get more information about any of the people who have been mentioned, uh, any of the countries or the people who are our guests today, to reach Dana Woods or A Helping Hand Adoption, you can go to their website, which is ahelpinghandadoption.org. To get information about, or, or another way to get information there is to go to Nightlight, and you can do that by just clicking on their logo on our site. Uh, and and once there, I think you can get information to uh, about a helping hand as well, since they're an affiliate. We have Emily Matthews, and if you get information on Emily or on All Blessings, uh, you can go to their website, which is allblessings with an S dot org. Or you can click on their logo on the right-hand side of our site. And also with Dylan and Kimberly Alls, to get more information about their programs, you can go to their website, which is Dylan, D-I-L-L-O-N, adopt.com. Or you can go to get information on any of these. You can go to the service provider page of our site uh, to the and just uh, uh, click on where they're located or just on their name, and you can get uh, lots of information there. I thank you all for being here today, and I thank you, audience, for, for being a part of us. I look forward to talking with you next week. Bye-bye. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. the moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send him our condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's work, man. Where did you get this? 
I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.